0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, I am Jason Foy. That is the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. We're here to break down UFC 295 early on here on a Friday morning. Of course, the weigh-in's about to get started in New York, so I'm going to have that up here on the screen so I can kind of see if any fighters do miss weight. Of course, uh, if we uh, do see that happen, we'll let you know right here on the podcast. Of course, as always, appreciate everyone tuning in, whether you watch us live here on YouTube or if you're listening to us after the fact, whether it's here on YouTube or on the podcasting channels. We do appreciate all the support. Of course, if you smash that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, you know the deal. We got the Discord channel, which my guy Pete just over here just giving winners in NBA. It's not just about MMA in that Discord channel. You talk about everything going on in betting, looking to make some bets. As, uh, yeah, I think Pete was uh, just like a lot of people last night was on uh, the Pacers and also was on the Magic there. And, uh, Pete, how's it going, man?
1: What's going on? Yeah. You know, it's been a, it's been a little hot streak for me, you know, taking the Pacers. Um, I took them at plus three and a half and then I also grabbed the magic, uh I believe it was plus four and a half or something like that. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just been a pretty good run. Happy to uh to talk different sports in our Discord channels from college sports to uh NBA, you know, a little bit of everything. So uh if you haven't already, hit that link in the description below, join our Discord, it's free to join. Um and then just navigate through the channels and, and you know, engage in some of the conversations and you know, throughout the week, we've had a lot of good conversations uh, within the combat sports channel. A lot of people excited about this card. Some, some moving parts. Um, some stances that, you know, I feel like the the chat is very similar to how I, I see the field being. Where there's going to be some chalky builds, and um, it's also going to be some popular fights to target. So, trying to navigate through, um, you know, a card like this. It's going to be a little difficult, but I think that you know with the correct strategy you can get different on a 13 fight slate. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited.
0: Of course, also, we got our DraftKings Contest. Contest is already live there on the channel, so you can uh, get in that contest right now. Congratulations to last week's winner, EPA DOL, taking it down with uh, 549 points, going with Nicholas Dolby, uh, Nascimento, Boralla, Brenner, Petrino, and Angela Hill. As uh, I Unfortunately, I faded off, Dolby. As uh, fights got close, I just, I just, I didn't feel good about it, but uh, it happens, man. It's it's sometimes we overthink it as DFS players.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, though. I'll take the blame for that because I I was really, really high on bone You know, Gabriel bone I thought was um, superior to his brother. I still think he is. Um, But, you know, that was a, that was a true test. You know, that's a litmus test to see if you're, if you're, you know, able to, to beat a proven veteran. Um, I thought that Dolby's durability at times is in question. I also thought that, you know, even though he's a solid grappler, I, I really thought that Bonfim was going to be able to do it. And I do remember you telling me that your cash punt of the week was was Dolby. And I kind of talked you off of it. Um, so that's why, like, if you're listening to this show, you definitely have to take what Jason's saying completely separate from me. And then you also have to take mine completely separate from Jason. And then so I would say if you're doing – You know, a small amount of lineups, do three lineups, one taking Jason's advice, one taking my advice, uh, my advice, and then maybe a little combination or your own. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that was a good call, Jason. I totally, I guess I disrespected Dolby. Dolby came out there, that that hard sparring that he was talking about really, really kind of like shined through and you saw the pressure of him going out there. Okay, this guy's had most of his fights finished in the first round. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to put him on his back foot with a crazy high pace and just drag him into deep water and try to drown him as the fight goes on. It's, it's exactly what happened. So, credit to Dolby that was an excellent win and another minus 500 favorite is, you know, down down for the count and just completely flips the slate.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have really many of those big favorites uh, this week outside of uh, Rebecca, of course, so let's get right yeah. into game theory in terms of making our DFS lineups. And, and Pete, I don't know if you had the kind of the same thought I had when, you know, I want to say it was Monday or Tuesday night when when DraftKings posted the, the salaries for this one, and, and I looked at the salaries and I was like, man, there are some interesting underdog pricing. I, I, I'll say I thought for Volo it would be more than 7,100 um, just because of how I see that fight going. And that is actually one of three fights that are going to be priority fights for me in terms of GPPs, the other two being the main event and co-main event. And you know, as I, as I was driving to the studio this morning and I was kind of thinking about, you know, one of the things that you always talk about is prioritizing underdogs in main event and co-main event. And we got great pricing this week, whether you like the favorite or the underdog in the main event and co-main event.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, uh, the odds and the salaries for the main event make it a very popular build, um, a very popular fight to target. I mean, you have Alex Pereira at eighty four hundred, coming off a recent fight against Jan Blahovic, um, and then we have Yuri Porhashka sitting there at seventy eight hundred, coming back off of a major injury. Um, so you have it—you know, two five round fighters at $8,400 and eighty four hundred and seventy eight hundred. If they go out there and have an absolute war where Yuri Prahashka and Glover Teixeira did, I remember that stack ended up taking down the optimal lineup and ended up taking down the tournament. I don't foresee that happening. I foresee somebody getting finished here. Um, but the salaries in itself are going to you know, have a, uh, attract a ton of ownership. It's going to be very difficult to get away from it. Um, the co-main event between Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich, uh, heavyweight division for interim title, so we have five rounds to work with with a in a volatile division that tends to not go the distance. I don't care what we saw against Jelton Almeida and Derek Lewis. That is an anomaly. Um, th- this fight between Sergey uh, Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall is most likely going to be finished inside of two rounds. So um, I think the co-main event for me is a little bit more attractive than the main event personally. But I think the popular build is going to be plug one from each fight and then get different elsewhere um i'm gonna uh, you know we'll, we'll talk about the, the slate but i'm gonna see if i can be a little underweight in certain spots to uh try to get aggressive on others
0: i will tell you our friends over at stochastic just put up their ownership projections and of course if you want to take advantage and help out the show we do have a offer uh, in the show notes below i actually would have thought the ownership on the main event co-main event would be higher than what it is really yeah, I, I as I just popped it up, I, I just saw it. I was like, wow, I, I would have thought. I mean, and look, and, and I think when you're talking about game theory and trying to get different for these big GPP tournaments, if you're trying to take down that big contest on, on DraftKings, which, you know, 200,000 to first place is, if you want to get different, if you can find a way to get away from the main event and co-main event, I mean, you, you are going to build a unique build. I mean, I, I just, man, it's just the ceiling. I, I think the ceiling on the co-main event, is higher than the main event because I think the main event could go a little longer than potentially thought there, but that's something to take there. I will say, though, over on the FanDuel side of the equation the salaries on the main event kind of get me away from it where you're talking about the salary of the main event is 20 and 18 where the co-main event is 16 and 15 so to me that, that co-main event is much more a priority on FanDuel uh, as opposed to the main event there of course if you do have any questions to break it down for us all you gotta do is put it in the chat of course if you're watching this after the fact you can leave a comment you can hop into that and just score myself and Pete will get back to you in terms of that one but Pete so let's get right into these fights let's get right into the main event it it is the light heavyweight title matchup. You got the former champion, Yuri Prohoshka, coming back from that shoulder injury. Now he takes on Alex Pereira, who looks to become a two-division champion in only 10 MMA fights, which is just a crazy stat here. Of course, uh, Alex is a minus 125 betting favorite, plus 105 for Yuri, 8,400 for Alex, 7,800 for Yuri. Yuri, $18 on FanDuel, $20 for Alex here. And, and this is, and before the show, me and Pete were kind of talking about this one. And this is a fight that I think could go either way, Pete. I mean, I I I, I heard this great question on the Anakin Florian podcast this week. And, it's, and it was, out of the four fighters in the title fights on Saturday night, who is your most confident pick? And I was like, damn, that's a great question. Because I was like, yeah, I got one. I'm guessing it's Tom Aspinall. Mm-hmm. Ray Longo picked Sergey Pavlich, which, I mean, it's, we'll get into that one. A lot of questions kind of on both sides that way. But like when I look at Alex and Yuri, what scares me the most about Yuri is, A, coming back from a major surgery. I mean, let's talk about when he got this this injury, Dana White is talking about he might retire. Now he's back. How does he bounce back from that? But also what concerns me about Yuri is kind of that that wild man mentality.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think the um, the main event between Yuri Prahashka and Alex Pareda is going to be a striker's delight, clearly. There's a lot on the line, obviously. Um, massive implications for both to win this fight if Alex Pareda can pull it off. I mean, you're talking about one of the best combat sports athletes of all time. Um, just because of his crossover from kickboxing to now MMA, he's so green when he came over you know, like, uh, debuting against Andreas Mihalitas getting taken down and, you know what I mean, like, and then, fought, you know, throwing that flying knee to, you know, then having an absolute stand-up war with Bruno Silva, massive step-up against Sean Strickland, and then quickly, UFC says, hey, guess what? We we know that this guy has a flaw on the ground, so let, let's put him in there while he has some momentum against a, uh, a common opponent in Israel Adesanya and see what can happen. Let's use that momentum and that, uh, that hype and, and see if we could turn into um, some like legacy fights between the two and Israel Adesanya, he goes out there and he ends up finishing Israel Adesanya in the fifth round and then Adesanya rebounds off of that um, and knocks him out in the second round. Then we just saw him decide to you know tra- you know transform from a middleweight to a light heavyweight. I truly believe he's always been a light heavyweight who was just killing himself to get down the middleweight. He's a massive human being. I think he fills out the weight class really well. Perhaps the uh, the lack of cutting weight um, will, will make him a little bit more durable than he has been in the past because when he gets hit with shots, he he does get rocked, it seems, and his legs go out from underneath him. Yuri Prohashka is a wild man on the feet, super unorthodox, um, and, and difficult to train for because he's doing things. He's not as sharp as Alex Pereira, who's so fundamentally sound. Yuri is... Tricky and weird and his punches come from odd angles and sometimes When you're a high-level kickboxer you have a harder time with somebody who does who makes like you know crazy adjustments similar to Yuri Prahashka where they don't do things as Sharp like on sharp lines when they are just sitting there and they're throwing it from unorthodox angles weird combinations um, weird setups I think the, the movement of Yuri Prahashka is is good, he drops his hands way too much for my liking, um, and going up against the guy in Alex Pereira who hits like a truck, that does seem like a recipe for a disaster. Now I do think that the uh, light heavyweight version of Alex Pereira is a little slower than how he was at middleweight. Um, I still think he does have that power, but we've seen Yuri get rocked time and time again. Um, but Yuri has that, that you know ace up his sleeve of being able to take the fight to the ground. He will be the better grappler if it does end up there. My issue with this fight is I've been going back and forth all week. I just don't know who really wins this fight. And the, the reason being is because I can see it being somewhat of a tentative striking match on the feet where they're both taking their time. Um, Alex is going to respect the right hand of Yuri Prahashka in the movement. Um, I I think Alex is going to look to chop at the legs of Yuri to try to make him into a a sitting target. Um, And then I can actually see somebody winning round one, it going back and forth, and then it'd be somewhat of a low-scoring fight just because of like it's a flip of a coin if somebody's lights are going to get shut off. Um, So yeah, I'm going to have a portion of my lineups avoiding the fight in case, let's say, you know, Alex Pereira dominates him for the first two rounds, and then in the third round, Yuri Prahashka takes him down and subs him or hits him with a right hand. You know, a third-round victory at that price tag doesn't necessarily make it make it optimal. So, uh, with all that being said, like the the layoff, the injury, uh, the lack of activity, and the defensive flaws, it's a slight lean to Alex Pereira to, to pull off the victory here. Um, but I, I would I would be you know fooling. You, if if I said I wasn't worried about this matchup and I can't make a stand on either one, I'd rather make stands on other fights on this card. I think this is a very, very close fight. And truly, I don't think many people know what's going to happen. So it's a slight lean to Alex Pereira. Um, but all in all, it's a nice fight to target because of the salary relief.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing when we look at the betting side of this equation, Pete, is I'm looking at that over one and a half rounds. And, uh, of course, uh, here in the state of Florida, uh, the Hard Rock app just went live. So I'm, I'm just looking at the app right now. Uh, over one and a half rounds, minus 150. Look at what our prize picks. Prize picks has set this line at nine minutes. And I think that's kind of a, it's a good number. Um, you know I think you could very easily be concerned about this fight ending in, in, in less than 7 minutes but I just I don't know for some reason this is just one of those fights I think goes a little longer than we expect maybe we see a little bit of, of a longer feeling out process between these two guys by the way Alex has made weight at, at 204 pounds uh, also on prize pick significant strikes for Alex 50 and a half his fancy score 87 and a half I mean it should be it's just like you I mean it, it's, it's a coin flip fight I mean it if you're playing a 100 lineups, you know maybe, maybe you go 40 lines with Alex, 40 with Yuri and then 20 that don't have them because I, I think that it's obviously it does have the potential to hit over 100 points and when you're talking about that that salaries over on Draftkings, to me it's just it's hard to fade.
1: It is uh, but you know like I said, if it's a, a mirror match and they're both a little tentative and they got so much respect for each other. We've seen them both be patient at times. Um, I don't think that Yuri's going to go out there and try to walk him down. I, I think he's going to recognize what's in front of him. Um, and same thing goes for Alex. So, like, um, you know, it, it is just very difficult to, to really pick this fight because there's so many moving parts. But like I said, it's a, it's a slight lean to Alex Pereira. My fear is that whoever's winning early on doesn't win as the fight goes on. So that's why I, you could see somewhat of a an underwhelming score. I mean, we've also seen high-level strikers, um uh, Francis Ngannou and and you know Derek Lewis and despite not being technical, like we've seen dud performances from mm-hmm. from uh from strikers. So, um if it's a slow-paced fight, all you need is six other fights to outpace it and outperform it. So, um it will definitely be contrarian, but I'll have a portion of my lineups in, in case that is an underwhelming fight
0: you <laughs> Let's move over to the co-main event. We got the interim heavyweight title matchup. As you got Sergey Pavlovich taking on Tom Aspinall. Tom Assonall, a slight betting favor in this one. He's minus 120 plus 100 for Sergey. Aspinall, 8200 200 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. And for Sergey, he's $8,000 on DraftKings and $15 on FanDuel. Pricing on, on both slates. I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid this matchup. I mean, yeah. this matchup, the one question I have is like, first off, so you had Sergey who has been preparing as a backup fighter for this car just in case something did happen. Tom Aspinall, of course, gets this fight here on short notice, and, and he talked about it yesterday. He said, he's like, look, I, you get these opportunities. you got to take advantage of them. You, you can't just not take these fights. But w- this is my concern with Aspinall. It, it's just like, what if this hits round two? What does he look like? Like, that to me, and, and how much do we maybe see him utilize a grappling base in this one, Pete? Well,
1: oh, I'm not worried about what happens for Aspinall if it hits round two. I'm worried about what happens for Sergei Pavlovich. Um, I, I truly have so much faith in Tom Aspinall. You guys know, sometimes when I you know, I plant my flag on certain fighters, um, when I label a prospect with championship uh, potential, you know it, it takes a lot for me to do so. And I've been pretty accurate with that. And Tom Aspinall has been my guy. Uh, Hamza Shamayev has been my guy. I think that, Tom Aspinall has all the goods for the heavyweight division. And the reason is, is because he's elusive. He's not a plotting heavyweight. His footwork is excellent. He moves, he he moves laterally sideways. He faints, he fakes. He's so dangerous that um, it almost makes his opponents somewhat gun shy because they can't go out there and get too aggressive or they'll get taken down. We saw what happens when he can change their levels. You know, against uh, Alexander Volkov, you saw a beautiful slip into a double leg takedown. I mean, we've seen him land two takedowns against Alexander Volkov, and you know his jujitsu is is I think up there as a part of the elite for the division, and it's because he's been doing it his entire life. Then you combine that with his boxing skill set, where he can get knockdowns. If I had to throw shade at Tom Aspinall, it's just the the chin up in the sky. I don't like how his chin's up in the sky, and it's it's so surprising to me when I see high level fighters with their chin up in the air. um, you know, him going out there and bombing leg kicks and looking a little nervous against Curtis Blades, I didn't necessarily like that because it, it kind of looked like he was going to get countered. It was a freak injury. Um, but I, I think that anytime you get close enough to Sergey Pavlovich, you're playing with fire there. It's pretty easy to, for me to see what you need to do against Sergey Pavlovich. All of his UFC fights have ended in the first round. You need to survive round one, take him into round two. I don't think he's the same guy at all. And if I'm Tom Aspinall... I'm dancing on the outside, pop shot, and moving, moving, moving. Just trying to frustrate and just extend the fight into round two. I really think it's going to take the win completely out of the sails of Sergei Pavlovich. He's totally capable of going out there and landing a beautiful combination. He throws uppercuts really well. He has a beautiful right hand as well. Um, Him being a part of a strong camp will prepare him for a fight like this. But ultimately, when I'm looking at the skill set of all heavyweight fighters I think that Tom Aspinall is is in the league of his own if I'm being completely honest because he's so well-rounded outside of just getting hit with a big shot i really don't see how he loses this fight um so as, as far as your lineups definitely consider Sergey Pavlovich because of what he's been doing in the octagon and he looks his hands are incredible but we've also seen what happens in his debut granted a very long time ago against Alistair Overeen back in 2018. When he got taken down, I didn't see an underhook. I didn't see a post. I didn't see anything other than laying flat on his back. I just didn't see anything. He looked like a complete fish out of water. Definitely could have developed since then, and I'm sure he has. But I just still think, despite the development, there are other good grapplers that we've seen Tom Aspinall go out there and just completely get rid of. Um, and, And that's why the Curtis Blades fight would have been so... Compelling to see how that actually would have gone before the injury. So uh, I'm not going to hop off the hype train now. I, I've been saying it since day one. Tom Aspinall, right here at 8,200. My prediction is going to be Sergey Pavlovich. I think he's going to dance around in round one. Round two hits. You're going to see Pavlovich, you know, sucking wind a little bit. Aspinall is going to change levels, take him down, and he's either going to pound him out or submit him in round two.
0: We're on different sides here.
1: Okay, no problem.
0: <laughs> I, I I just. It's, to me, and look, I think there's cardio concerns on both sides. I, I, what what have you seen from Tom Aspinall makes you think he can go ten minutes? I
1: I just I know he can. I know Pavlovich cannot. And 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 I that sounds crazy. It's it's just you can see the type of fighter that Pavlovich is. Pavlovich is a sprinter, whereas Aspinall is more finesse. And I don't think that I don't think that Pavlovich can sprint for two or three rounds. Whereas I think that in the makeup of Tom Aspinall's game, there is patience and there is strategy. I see a guy just slinging leather in in Sergei Pavlovich. He's very good and very dangerous. I'm not underestimating him at all. Uh, I I think that you have to lock in this fight. Uh, There's no Mm -hmm. way you get away from it. But um, I I think Tom Aspinall for me is the pick.
0: Look, it's just we haven't seen Tom Aspinall prove that yet. It, like we talk about, there's there's unknowns in the fight game. Yeah. What does a minute ten Tom Aspinall look like? We've seen Sergey go five rounds in his career. He has gone five rounds. So like that to me, it, it's 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 an unknowns. I think you got. look, I think you got to get to both sides. But you tell me, I gotta pick one way or the other. I, I think Sergey. And, and I'll say this: you're gonna call me crazy. He might be out of the four fighters in in a main event co-main event. Maybe my most confident play.
1: Yeah, all right. I'm the I'm the opposite. I think that Tom Aspinall is my com, my most confident play. I don't like the fact that Aspinall is taken out on short notice, so like or shorter notice than Pavlovich. Pavlovich has been ready and and preparing at for you know as a backup. So I I don't like that for Aspinall. Um, but I just think that he's just got more tools, and as long as he doesn't go out there and try to sprint with the sprinter, I think he'll be okay.
0: No doubt about. it. Let's move over next up. We got a female matchup. We got Mackenzie Dern taking on Jessica Andraj. Mackenzie Dern is a minus two ten betting favorite. Jessica Andraj is plus one seventy five. Uh, Dern nine thousand on DK nineteen dollars on Fanduel. Andrage, she is seventy two hundred on DK eleven dollars on Fanduel. And uh, you know, Pete, as much as you know, this is the one thing. It's kind of and obviously throughout this year. There's I, I've been critical of like Jessica Andraj, like. Why are you taking these just tough ass fights back to back to back? Well, we found out this week why that is, you know, she is going through some financial issues, going through a divorce. Of course, Mackenzie Dern's gone through a divorce. She talked about, uh, she's still dealing with the financial aspects of that. And you know, it's, the one thing with Jessica Andrade, and I know that you're probably gonna try to tell me I'm you know, I know what your thoughts are on this fight, but like to me, it's while she's still, you know, young in this game, she's had a ton of UFC experience. I just feel like we're on the downside of her career, Pete.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sure seems that way. I mean, and now that you know the the X factors for her previous fights, it does kind of seem like the, you know, anytime anywhere any place attitude of Jessica Andrade was financially driven you know I, I don't think that it was smart for her career path in most of her fights i mean the Aaron Blanchfield fight Yan Shao Nan i mean like you know we, we've her Tatiana Suarez like those are those are tough fights like very very difficult fights um but Jessica Andrade is a very very do, you know dominant fighter at least she used to be it's just she kind of got exposed a little bit. She she lacks defense. She lacks defense on the feet. And she just, uh, she she I don't know, she just is willing to bite down on the mouthpiece and slug it out instead of, you know, avoiding shots and everything. Um, and then when it hits the mat, she is susceptible to getting submitted. The issue in this fight against Mackenzie Dern is that Mackenzie Dern, despite her incredible jiu-jitsu pedigree, i'm not buying her takedowns I, I know that they've gotten a little bit better but this is a fighter than you know that i've said needs to go to a true wrestling camp or needs to go and, and just like hire high level wrestling coaches because if she could ever just work on that wrestling and become a little bit more efficient i do think that she wins she's so obsessed with her striking i don't think her striking's that bad uh it, it looked a lot better against angela hill uh, she threw 210 significant strikes landed 126 picked up a knockdown. So she looked very powerful and the versatility of her game makes makes her so dangerous. You don't know when she's ta- you know looking for a takedown. Don't know when she's bombing a big overhand over the top. I do think though that if she focused more on her wrestling that she can win rounds a little bit better. I think in in women's MMA, physicality is a big, big factor and one of the most deciding factors that we should take into consideration. Jessica Andrade is clearly the more physical fighter between Mackenzie Dern and Jessica Andrade. I understand that Jessica Andrade has fallen on hard times. Uh, She's walked her way into certain losses by making critical mistakes. She could go out there and get submitted relatively quickly against Mackenzie Dern. But, like, Jessica Andrade is a Brazilian jiu- jiu-jitsu black belt, is more powerful on the feet, is the better wrestler, and I think that she can out-muscle her if it comes into a clinch. Mackenzie Dern's takedown attempts in her previous fights, 3 of 9 against Angela Hill, 2 of 11 against Yan Nan, 0 of 5 against Tisha Torres, 1 of 8 against Marina Rodriguez. You know, I'm not a live-and-die-by-the-stats type of guy. Mm-hmm. But I'm picking Jessica Andraj to, to to beat uh, Mackenzie Dern here, and it's because I just think she's going to be a little bit too physical for her. Um, she's uh, Jessica Andraj also talked about how throughout this camp she's sparred significantly with Tatiana Suarez, who clearly just went in there and got rid of Andraj relatively quick, uh, quickly. I like that because Andraj recognizes she needs to up it, up her game, and, and and try to work with better you know better training partners. And uh, hopefully that'll get her out of hard times. She could, she's still live to get finished, but I do think that Andraj is probably the better minute winner here against Mackenzie Dern. So seventy two hundred, uh, I'm gonna pick uh, Jessica Andraj to pull off the upset.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I can't trust Jessica Andrade at this point in her career. I, I just, I, I think we're starting to see a downside. I mean, look, it's, and I think you bring up some great points about Mackenzie Dern. I've never looked at her as a, hey, she's going to grab a single leg and take you down. Now, if she does get Jessica Andrade to the ground, that does become interesting. And But uh, I, I still like, I think Mackenzie Dern is a play. Actually, I think the more than 10 fight time minutes on price picks is does stick out to me. In terms of this one. Um, yep. you know, it, that w- out of the three props Price Picks has this week, uh, for for McKenzie Dern, that's the one that sticks out to me the most. Her significant strike prop is 38 and a half. Her fantasy score is 90 and a half, but I think that that 10 fight time minutes going more than 10 fight time minutes is away. I'd want to attack that over there. Next up, we got a matchup in the lightweight division. You got banana St. Denis taking on Matt Provola. Provola is a plus one eighty-five betting underdog, minus two twenty-five for St. Denis. St. Denis, 9100 DK, 21 on. On Fanduel, Favola is seventy one hundred on DK and ten dollars on Fanduel. And uh, I was listening to Favola's interview on the Anakin Florian podcast this week, and you know, and obviously he's kind of gotten a lot of kudos this week for taking this matchup. You know, you know, he, obviously he would prefer to get a ranked guy in this situation, but you know, he kind of, you know, he mentioned about it, he's like, look, he has, you know, Saint Denis is a wrestler. He he wants he wants to grapple I, in this one, but like when I saw the price tag, he has seventy one hundred for Vol, and I can't get Matt Favola fights right. I I I'm on the wrong side every time with this guy, yeah. but that seventy one hundred dollar price tag. As I look at that under 73, 73 below on DK, he's the guy that sticks out to me the most.
1: I think he's going to be one of the most popular underdogs, and uh, I do think that DraftKings kind of mispriced him a little bit. This is a a winnable matchup for him. I guess Benoit Saint Denis, who sometimes defensively is just irresponsible. Um, Benoit Saint-Denis wrestling, in my opinion, is what's going to make him so dominant in this division. Whenever he can get a hold of you, he can he outmuscles you, he outworks you. Great pressure, great control, good ground and pound, good submission skills. Um, I think that's clearly his bread and butter. On the feet, he throws a really hard left kick to the body, which is great. But as he's backing up his opponents to the cage, you notice that his hands drop and he engages into somewhat of a 50-50 slugfest. I don't like that when I see him going up against Matt fribola And the reason why he does that is he's either gonna go he's either going to throw hard enough to knock you out, or he's going to throw hard enough to make you want to, you know, try to counter him. And the second you go to counter him is when he changes levels. Matt Frivola's touched the chin of a lot of people that don't respect his power, and he's knocked them out. I mean, you know, when you're going in there, you know, flipping a coin like Drew Dober was, Otman of Zaytar, where you're just in a 50 50 hook exchange, you know, trading hooks. That's why, like, if you're in a pocket just trading hooks, whoever has the tighter hook and better defense typically wins those. So, um, you know, with all that being said, I think that Matt Frivola's wrestling offensively is good. Defensively, I think it's okay. I think he'll stuff some of Benoit Saint-Denis' uh, takedown attempts, but I do think that Benoit Saint-Denis is a big, big guy and really physical in this matchup. The power edge, like the one hitter-quitter, will probably I'll probably throw that towards Revo- uh, Frivola, um, whereas Benoit Saint-Denis is kind of like a, an attrition fighter where over time he starts to break you down, and we've seen him get fighters out of there. And break some of the top guys like Tiago Moisés. He just went in there and just completely outclassed them. I'm still picking Benoit Saint Denis at 9100, but I think a $2,000 salary gap between the two fighters is a mistake. I I think like a 86 and 75 Mm -hmm. or 86 and 77 or something like that would have made a little bit more sense, or you know, but like 91 and 71. You know, there is value on on Favola. And as a punt, if he comes through, I I think that the chalky builds are going to do great this weekend. Um, But as a chalky option, if he doesn't land that one shot, one kill type of shot, then we could be looking at one of the best punt busts of the slate. So I'm still picking Benoit Saint-Denis. I think that he always has high upside, but Favola actually being well-rounded could limit some of the upside.
0: Yeah, I just uh I wanted to see what the the over one and a half rounds is. Uh over one and a half is plus one ten, minus one thirty five, at least over at the Hard Rock app. Uh I, I look I think someone's getting finished in this matchup. Um, and that's why to me it's a priority fight. But like like you just said, I, I think the pricing wise that there is value on Matt Voa, but I think also you gotta this is where, like, if you're talking, you're playing in, in a 150 max, this is where you got to kind of look at ownership and, and maybe kind of figure out where you can go there. Um, you Look over at prize picks, uh, significant strikes for St. Denis, 41.5, fight time, 6.5, takedowns, 2, fantasy score, 98.5. I mean, like, when you look at the fact that the two takedowns is the number that really sticks out to me. Like to me, I feel like that is a if you're going to play the takedown prop Pete, you play less than 2 as opposed to more cuz I I don't I don't see 3.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, he just needs to get one around. I mean, but that means he'd have to win each round. Not necessarily, but most likely. Um it's a tricky fight and, and you know, I kind of view that this fight the same as as the main event. Where you can make an argument for either one, mm-hmm. um, like you know, despite the crazy gap, I think personally that Matt Fravola is going to, you know, get a little bit outworked and outmuscled in certain positions. But that doesn't mean that he can't defend. Um, it's just over time, I think that the bigger guy is going to uh, to win out. So I'm having a hard time. I, I'm expecting Fravola to have more ownership than what I'm seeing right now. Because if he's at that low ownership, I, I'll probably easily double that. Easily double that all day long.
0: By the way, interesting graphic I see on the UFC weigh-in show. Daniel Cormier's top five scariest fighters in the UFC. Alex Pereira, Sergei Pavlovich, Yuri Prochocka, Marab Davichvili, Hamzat Chimaev.
1: Come on. Marab's scary? I mean, like, Marab's... I mean... I don't know if I think Marab's scary. I agree with the other four, though who would be scarier than Marab because I don't think that Marab's scary though
0: uh, I mean the pace he brings I mean oh look Murab may be the best win-35er in the game right now
1: yeah but I don't think he's scary gotta take you down you, you know time,
0: you, I'll give you a surprise of who may be the best 135 in the world oh patchy mix. Just saying. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. He's
1: disgusting. He's <clears throat> yeah. so good.
0: Yeah, him and Sergio yeah. fight next week.
1: Yeah, I don't like that fight for Surge. And the reason I don't like it is just because of the physicality. Um, but in the past, we've seen patchy mix kind of gas out. It seems like he fi- he's fixed that. And since he's fixed that, he's very, very dangerous. As long as he stays good on the scale, he's too big for 135. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I, I saw... Um... So I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline. Apparently, Rafael Stotz passed out um, when he was cut, wait for his last fight. That that oh. by the way, uh, this is a memo of the fighters. Don't say that stuff publicly. No, it's. it's <laughs> I love the transparency. Unfortunately, a regulator is going to see that and go, hmm. Is don't bring that up. A
1: can of worms, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that.
0: Not, not a smart move. Not around here. That regulator pays attention to headlines. I'm just yeah. I'm saying fighters. Just saying. Hat yep. tip to the fighters. There's some things you just don't say publicly. You can yeah. say that stuff privately, not publicly. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I've seen him yell at plenty of people who cut way too much weight um but yeah i mean like and it's all for good reasons too because it's important to have regulators that care i want regulators that mm-hmm. care yeah for the health and safety of fighters and also the longevity of the sport i mean all you need is people to start doing things the wrong way and and who knows maybe the sport could get changed i mean we're finally in the public eye within the past 10 years and it's become the most popular sport in the world
0: yeah, it's, uh, right, it's, I mean, it's,
1: you know, I mean, fighting, fighting in every, you know, every walk of life is just, it's something that for whatever reason, people are, are inclined to watch.
0: Look, I, I I'll say this, this is my hat tip to the fight fan. If you want some good entertainment, if your girl's not into fighting, have her watch the fights with you. That commentary can be pretty funny.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I think that they're very good. Bisping is one of my favorite commentators out there. I I love, Wolf. I love mm-hmm. listening to him.
0: Oh, oh, it wins him and Cruz. Like, I mean, the jabs that go back and forth.
1: I mean, I gotta tell you, Jason. Admittedly, as a Dominic <clears throat> Cruz fight fan, mm-hmm. as intelligent as he is, I cannot stand him on, on the commentary. I'm not. Yeah,
0: I'm not I a big fan of him.
1: I cannot stand him, no matter what he criticize like he he's just like nobody on the panel can say anything slightly negative about a fighter without him blowing a gasket and then like just i mean i don't know i i just can do without him i'd much you know back in the day i really loved listening to frank mirror as a commentator i thought that he was a phenomenal commentator that never really got the shine brian stan was a phenomenal commentator i think paul felder's a very good commentator um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they got some of the best minds out there. Laura Uh you know, Laura Sanko is very good as well. Uh, But Dominic Cruz, for whatever reason, kind of he pushes my buttons a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big one on him. Uh, so over to our next matchup. We got Pat Sabatini taking on Diego Lopez. Uh, This is minus 115 for Sabatini and minus 105 for Lopez. Sabatini, 8,300 on DK, $15 on FanDuel. Lopez is also $15 on FanDuel. He's 79 over on DraftKings. This is one of those fights that – I've been thinking about all week, Pete, and like, why do I just see like Pat Sabatini taking Diego Lopez down three times? Lopez never gets off his back. Lopez has some submission tips from his back, but we we just kind of see a not much volume decision win by Pat Sabatini.
1: Definitely possible. And that is a fear of mine. Um, I do resort on the eye test and uh, I, I trust my reads. I, you know, when I see talent. I can see when it's mediocre talent, and I can also see when somebody's special. And that's when I saw Ta- Tom Aspinall and Hamza Shamayev. I kind of have that same feeling about Diego Lopez because what he did to Movzar Iblevev on short notice was spectacular. I-, I understand that he was controlled for a long duration of that, but he-, he is constantly hunting for the finish. He will attempt guillotines, triangles, arm bars, heel hooks anything off of his back and then what he's starting to do now is he's starting to incorporate reversals because if he's just hunting submissions off of his back and he's ineffective next thing you know 15 minutes expires and and you just lost the decision to one of the best control oriented grapplers in patrick sabatini pat sabatini is a very very good grappler as evidenced in his ufc career but outside of that as well um, in his debut against Tristan Connolly, tough fighter, went 1 of 5 in the takedown department, but had 10 minutes of control time. Um, Tucker Lutz, 5 of 11, 10 minutes of control time. TJ Laramie, 6 of 10, seven and a half, so 8 minutes out of control time. So, like, there is a fear of mine that Diego Lopez gets taken down, plays jiu-jitsu off of his back in an MMA fight, possibly is ineffective with submissions, and does get, you know, decisioned out of there. But when I, play, when I play MMA DFS, if I'm doing a, a short number of lineups, I'm playing for upside. And I do think that as far as underdogs on the slate, Diego Lopez has some of the best upside. Um, we saw what he did to Gavin Tucker out there, and he, he basically threw himself into a flying triangle, which then resulted into a triangle armbar combination. Um, and it was really quick and very, very good. I've seen Pat Sabatini get caught in an armbar where his arm – Broke or dislocated on the regional scene in result of a loss. But I, I don't even know if it gets to that point, Jason. I, I think that, like, on the feet, I have a sneaky suspicion that Diego Lopez just knocks out Pat Sabatini, who does have a striking deficiency, uh, especially defensively. Does seem like he gets hurt pretty easily. Um, he got front kick KO'd by Damon Jackson with follow up shots. Uh, we've seen him dropped against Jamal Emmers. Whenever he's fighting, I'm constantly worried about him getting hurt and finished. And I do think that the true, well-rounded skill set of Diego Lopez has higher upside. So um, Pat Sabatini, probably a contrarian decision win. If I bet him, it's going to be via decision. Um, But as far as like DFS lineups, get to both of them. But I think the high upside lies with Diego Lopez. I I actually think that he knocks out Pat Sabatini here um, at 7,900 and. I think he's, you know, he's going to be pivotal for the uh, for the optimal lineup this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, as I was looking at Price Picks, the, the one that stuck out to me was a fight time of ten and a half, and just kind of having this thought process of, of Sabatini just utilizes grappling, and, and this fight plays out on the ground, going more than ten and a half, uh, significant strikes twenty five and a half, and fantasy score seventy one and a half. If you like Pete, there, just take the the less than seventy one and a half as as pizza. And, and look, I, I don't, I don't. It's not a fight I necessarily. I don't want to get the past seventeen just because I. I think the there's not a great upside in, in terms of you know trying to get hundred points here, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Next up, we got a flyweight matchup: Steve Urseg taking on Casa. Casa plus one sixty five betting underdog minus one ninety five for Urseg. Urseg a six hundred on DK, seventeen dollars on Fanduel. Casa is seventy six hundred on DK and twelve dollars on Fanduel. Pete.
1: Yeah, so I mean, like, I, I'm interested in this fight. Uh, I actually think that the camp of Diego Lopez and Alessandro Costa is on the way up. Um, you have Diego Lopez as the jiu-jitsu coach for that gym. Alessandro Costa is a, a big guy for the flyweight division, um, muscle-bound guy, very good power, um, very good jiu-jitsu as well. His durability, though, is somewhat in question. I know that he took the, the fight against Amir al on short notice. Um, you know, But we did see him rebound against Jimmy Flick. And get a nice finish there, but I don't really hold a lot of weight in that win. Steve Urseg's a guy from the regional scene into his UFC debut that completely surprised me. Not not surprised me. Surprise is a wrong word. Impressed me. Urseg um, really impressed me because his his debut was against a, a ranked fighter, and he came in and he looked really good, similar to Diego Lopez. And on the regional scene, we've seen Stir- Steve Urseg maintains such a high pace a very very high pace and if you're unwilling to match that pace or unable to he can break you down he actually goes for a ton of takedowns and gets in top position a lot he's a solid striker good good hands good low kicks well-rounded fighter i actually think that you know what i've seen from him impresses me a little bit more than alessandro costa costa might have the big big moment edge whereas like He has that one-hitter-quitter about him, about the big, big shot. Um, is a very good jiu-jitsu practitioner. But for my reads, it does seem like he can get outworked. And when you have a guy who's just such a high-paced fighter, he can break you down. And that's what I'm expecting here. I actually think Alessandro Costa is a solid underdog um, because it is the flyweight division, and I don't mind getting to underdogs in the flyweight division because uh, high-activity, high-pace competitive fights tend to be um but what i saw from steve ursegg in his debut and how i actually think he's going to do in this matchup i think that there's some potential for just a uh, slate breaking pace so 8600 steve ursegg's uh, gonna be the pick for me i i, I like him quite a bit here
0: if you look over at price picks, price picks thinks this thing's going 15 minutes as they've got it at 14 and three quarters for Erceg, 49 and a half significant strikes, uh, one and a half takedowns, and also 79 and a half. It's just, it's one of those things of I, I just kind of, as I was hand building some line of speed, I didn't find myself really getting much to this fight uh, just in, in terms of this one, just because of, uh, you know, getting to other options where, um, especially when I was trying to spend up for some, you know, higher price options after going with the main event. and co main event. Next up we got a female matchup. We got Lupico godinez taking on Tabitha Ricci. Lupico godinez minus 1, Tabitha Ricci plus 150. Uh godinez A700 DK, 17 on FanDuel. Ray- Ricci 7500 on DK, 13 on FanDuel. and uh, I did see Tabitha Ricci talk about it said that this has been a fight that's been on her radar since they radar since they were both in LFA here. Of course we know about Lupico Diniz and we know the 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 pedigree of her family in terms of of wrestling. And uh, you you look at uh, uh, I was actually kind of surprised that maybe there wasn't a takedown prop here, but this, this fight might play on on the fight uh, on the feet, Pete.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a very interesting fight. And I think that Tabitha Ricci is probably going to be one of the most, you know, popular underdogs on the slate. um, When you're just kind of making a popular build, you know, she's kind of like the last, last fighter in Uh, 7,500. She's come through time and time again because of her takedown upside She's solid on the feet, nothing spectacular, but it's her high-volume takedowns and solid control that wins her a lot of bouts. 5 of 11 in the takedown department against Maria Oliveira, 5 of 10 against Poliana Viana, 4 of 5 with Jessica Pene, 3 of 8 against Jillian Robertson. Now, of all those fighters in that conversation, I don't think that any of those have the wrestling credentials and the wrestling skills that uh, her opponent, um, Lupi Godinez, has. I think that Jillian Robertson is a fantastic grappler, not the best wrestler, um, whereas Lupi Godinez is much more wrestle first and then incorporate some grappling. So uh, I think that the jiu-jitsu edge is in Tabitha Ricci's favor, but I think the striking overall hands in wrestling lies with Lupi Godinez. I don't think that either one of them are going to go to Takedown City and just you know, completely rack up tons of takedowns. I think that two wrestlers are going to go in there, and it may there might be some clinch, clinch fighting, but I think ultimately it's going to be a 15-minute back and forth striking affair, semi low volume, not necessary for lineups because I do expect Lupi Godinez to win two of the three rounds. Um, but like I said, I think that Tabitha Ricci is a fine underdog to consider. I just lean towards Lupi Godinez winning a decision here against Tabitha Ricci.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like Lupi Godinez in this one as well. You know, my only concern though is really that fancy score upside of you know when you're talking about especially in these bigger GPPs where you know. Yeah. I'm trying to get 600. You, you, you know you need 650 points. You know, you just know that's what you're going to need there. So I just don't know if it's one that I want to get to. Next up, we got uh, Rabisky taking on. Roosevelt Roberts. Roberts up, up here on short notice returning to the UFC. By the way, Roosevelt Roberts is one of six fighters who has not weighed in yet. Uh, he's a plus 500 betting underdog. Rebecca is minus 800. Rebecca, 9600 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. And for Roberts, he's six 600 on DK, $8 on FanDuel. And... You know, Pete, one of those things, like, Roosevelt Roberts, like, <laughs> I, I don't know how you trust him. I, I I think that's my biggest thing here.
1: Yeah, I might have been too high on this guy because I remember saying that he was good. I remember saying that he was very good. Um, I completely underestimated his opponent, Kevin Kroom, who I still don't think is good. Uh, But the one thing that Kroom does have is very good power and good, you know, front headlock submissions. So... What happened is he hurt Roosevelt Roberts with an overhand, snatched up the neck. Next thing you know, Roberts lost as a huge favorite in that bout. Um, And then, like, we've seen just Roberts kind of lay an egg in multiple, multiple fights. Jim Miller, for whatever reason, um, got into a grappling situation with him and got a little too overzealous, a little too overconfident, looking to pound him out, left his arm extended, and ended up getting submitted Um, You know, we see the Kevin Groom fight. It happened so quickly. He was basically a minus 400 favorite in that bout against Ignacio Bahamondes. He got outworked on the feet, attempted 12 takedowns, didn't land a single one, and then ended up getting highlight reel KO'd by a spinning hook kick, which was absolutely incredible from Ignacio Bahamondes. Um, You know, we've seen Roosevelt Roberts pick up a quick win on the Ultimate Fighter with good straight punches, I think that his his length and his straight punches can give most fighters problems. But outside of that, I don't trust his durability. I've seen him get hurt and rocked and knocked out multiple times. Um, and then, like defensively, when it comes to defending takedowns, if he, I, I just don't trust him to do so because if he resorts to just going after the neck and he's unsuccessful, he puts himself in a bad spot. We've seen him get taken down and controlled against other fighters. I think that Roberts has above-average jujitsu. I think that he has below-average wrestling. And I think that Matowicz Rebeski here at uh, 9,600, training a part of American Top Team, was already set to fight on this card. He's already been preparing an American Top Team. I think that Rebeski's in a fantastic spot, and he's looked like an absolute animal in the UFC Slightly disappointing performance against Nick Fiore. Um, landed 3 or 4 takedowns. Um, you know, had 8 minutes of control time. Still scored 104. But the the f- previous fight that he just had against Loik Rajabov, uh, where he followed up the Nick Fiore performance, he went in there and, you know, got his second round TKO. Scored 122. Just absolutely burying leg kicks. Had two knockdowns, a submission attempt. I think that Rubezki's pace is just too much to handle you know he throws a very good overhand left that i think can have a ton of success against a tall roosevelt roberts roberts stands way too tall for my liking He's just he's very susceptible to shots over the top because he throws a lot of straight punches with solid pop behind him but as a shorter fighter Ribeski just needs to be timing something over the top i think double leg takedowns are too explosive for roberts Mainly my only my only fear in this matchup, despite the crazy gap, despite Roberts taking it even on short notice, is the length in combination with the front choke series. I think as long as Rebesky keeps his head out of danger, I think that he wins this absolutely handily. And that is why he's priced at ninety six hundred and basically ballooning to a minus 600 favorite. So I, I like Robeski here a lot at 9,600, and I, I think that he has high, high finishing upside. Even if he doesn't finish, you can see him go to the takedown well over and over. He's just really well-rounded in a part of a good camp.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's not... It's not an issue of getting to Ray Becky because of the other lower 8,000 salaries you can get to. You look at main event, co main event. You know, maybe if you want to, maybe if your pump play is Jessica Andrade or Matt Favola, it's really easy to get to that path. So, um, but to me, I just don't, do not trust Roosevelt Robertson in this situation. Step on short notice. We'll see if he makes weight. As I did mention, he is uh, one of six fighters who have yet to weigh in. Just, uh, Refresh the old Twitter Twitter uh, app here and see if anything has changed, but uh, nothing yet. By the way, Yuri uh, has made it as well, so the main event is official. Next up, we got Sadikov taking on Borshev. Borshev is a plus one ten betting underdog, minus one thirty for Sadikov. Sadikov eighty five hundred on DK, sixteen dollars on on Fanduel. Borshev, seventy seven hundred on DK, fourteen dollars on Fanduel. And uh, you know when you talk about when you listen to other. You know, people I consider sharp minds in this uh, industry. It looks like a lot of people are looking at the Slava Claus in this one.
1: I like Slava Claus as a fighter um, in a kickboxing fight, but I, I like him against one-dimensional opponents. I don't necessarily know if I think that Nazim Sadikov is a one-dimensional opponent. I just don't. I've seen him training with Matt Frivola. He's taking Matt frivola down, which I don't think is good for Frivola when he's going up against Benoit Saint-Denis. But also, like Nazim Sadikov, the fact that he has wrestling is so bad for uh, Slava Klaus, uh, Borshev here. Borshev, excellent power, very good hooks, digs to the body, just a phenomenal striker. Part of a good camp in Team Alpha Male. And uh, it takes a while, man, to round out that part of your game. I do think that the the jujitsu is non-existent, whereas Nazim Sadikov has a clear massive advantage if it does hit the mat. You saw him trap the arm of Terrence McKinney en route to a rear naked choke. It looked fantastic. I know Terrence McKinney is a gasser, but McKinney's skill set on the ground completely outweighs what Borshev has. I think Borshev is a great striker. Um, That was you know, evidence in his fight against Maha I just don't know if this guy can defend takedowns. And I think it's going to be competitive on the feet. We've seen Nazim Sadakov get hurt. But I do trust in Nazim Sadakov to get the fight to the ground. I really do. He even took Evan Elder down. So I'm going to go with Nazim Sadakov at 8,500. And my thinking is that he incorporates the takedowns. Slava Klaus is going to force his hand because Slava is a very good grappler. I mean, very good striker. Um, but this is a sneaky fight, man. I think that this fight, if you target this fight one way or another, it allows you to get the proper construction. Slava Klaus, high KO upside. Nazim Sadakov, he has KO upside as well, but also tremendous grappling upside against a guy who was taken down 20-something times or something against Mark Chacassi. Um So, yeah, I- I'm going to go with Nazim Sadakov here at 8,500.
0: Yeah, that, that's the one thing you talk about. A team Alpha fighter, male fighter getting taken out that much, but you know he he's the striking coach at Team Alpha male.
1: Throw him out. I'm surprised team. I'm surprised they, 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 right. oh, they didn't throw him out upon that. You just I forget the name.
0: They they have a drill there at Team Alpha male. God, yeah. I, Andre Feely told me about it. And it. It's basically like it's it's a wrestling tournament essentially every day, and, I, and, and in my head I'm like, there's no way Salvacors is ever getting past the first round.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, does he show up for that day? Because (laughs) is he the official? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, right. I mean, is he just watching? Um, You know, and I actually—that's something. Whereas high-level fighters, I've trained with a lot of them. Yeah, they don't. Some some of them don't like working on their weaknesses. Even though it seems as obvious, obvious as as you know can be, they just don't. Because they they have an ego, but also they have a fear of looking <laughs> bad in, against amateurs and looking bad against guys that aren't on their level. So despite putting the pride to the side, they just, for whatever, I mean, like that's why I think Uriah Faber just forces his hand. I just think that he's a kickboxer learning the sport of MMA, and I can mm-hmm. relate to that. It takes a while.
0: Oh, yeah. No, no, no no, doubt about it. Uh, next up, we got Jared Gordon taking on Mark O. Madsen. O. Madsen is a plus-185 betting underdog, minus-225 for Gordon. Gordon, $8,900 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. Madsen, 7300 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. Of course, we all know about Mark O. Madsen and his wrestling pedigree here. And this is another one that, when I'm talking about these punt plays, uh, it, yeah. it's, it's one there, but also what concerns me about Madsen is it could be one one heading to the third, and uh, that gas tank is right on empty.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't trust Marco Madsen here at all. Um, Josh, you know Josh, Jared Gordon, um, a friend of mine and my roommate when I was out in New Mexico at the uh, BMF Ranch. I think Gordon's good. I really do. I, I think that he throws at a pretty high volume, a uh, pretty high clip. So, despite not necessarily having the best efficiency with his striking numbers, he just out-volumes his opponents and um if they can't keep up the pace, they get broken time and time again. And he also has very good takedowns. Like he def- takedowns and takedown defense. He defended 10 takedowns against Grant Dawson despite getting submitted in the third round. I don't necessarily think that Jared's Gordon uh, J- I can't even talk. Jared Gordon's jiu-jitsu <laughs> is like spectacular by any means, I think it's very good. Um, but there's no there's no submission threat against Marco Madsen here, whereas against Grant Dawson, there is a tremendous jujitsu advantage for Grant Dawson. Um, Jared Gordon, just a very good fighter. Uh, we saw what he did to Patty Pimlet, should have won that fight. Got you know headbutted against Bobby Green despite having some success early on. Uh, I think that we're going to see Jared Gordon just completely go out there if he gets taken down, he's going to work back to his feet. Um, but I, I largely expect him to win two rounds en route to a pretty dominant decision. Mark Madsen tires really easily despite supposedly having excellent numbers at the PI. Um, I, I think that Jared Gordon's going to beat him as the fight goes on, rounds two and rounds three. Uh, the only worry is just about the durability of Jared Gordon. I think he's durable. I, I just think that, you know— you get caught with some shots, man. You you got small gloves on. Mm-hmm. You get hit with a headbutt. You get hit with something else. I think that Jared Gordon is going to uh be durable enough to, to get this 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 decision win here at eighty nine hundred. And he's at a sneaky salary where if Mark Madsen has a complete collapse in his cardio, we could see a huge score. Especially if we can get a late finish. So yeah, give me Jared Gordon. I mean, we've seen what he's done to excellent grapplers in the past, like Chris Fishgold scoring 120 points in a decision win. So Jared Gordon here at 8,900 I think is a solid play. But I understand the, uh, the underdog shot with Mark Madsen due to his Greco-Roman wrestling and power.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things of – like if, if you're playing Marco Madsen, I think your thought process has got to be is somehow you can utilize, utilize that wrestling to get Gordon out of the first, second round. I mean, that that to me – if this fight hits the third round, I would be – it would it, be one of those things of if this fight hits the third round and you live in a place where you can live bet on fights – I'd be looking, what is that? What is that live betting on Jared Gordon? Because I, I would think he would take it over there in, in round three. Yep. Uh, next up, we got a matchup that, between John Castaneda and Kung Ho Kang. By the way, this is a catch weight matchup of 138 pounds. This is not something that happened during fight week. This has been scheduled for this way. Uh, minus 135 for Castaneda. Kang is plus 115. Castaneda, 800 on DK, $17 on Fandle. Kung Ho Kang, $7,400 on DK, $14 on Fanduel. This is one of those, I think, is a sneaky GPP fight.
1: Yeah, I think it's a sneaky fight as well. Um, I've been going back and forth, and I was trying to talk myself into a Kyung Ho Kang underdog shot. For me personally, I'd much rather find $100 and spend up from Mark Madsen to Kyung Ho Kang because I think the floor of Kyung Ho Kang is higher. I even think in this matchup, John Castaneda. To Kyung Ho Kang, I think that the floor of Kyung Ho Kang is higher than Castaneda, and the reason I say that is because of the pace and the volume that we see Kyung Ho Kang operate at. He goes to the takedown well. Um, his takedowns are very they're very uh, unorthodox. He's a dynamic fighter. He's well rounded. I do think that he is susceptible to eat some left hands from John Castaneda, who should be the better striker in this situation castaneda is no slouch on the ground um he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt or black belt gets takedowns in his own right can defend when people are going uh, are trying to take him to the mat what i'm seeing is kyung ho kang having some success and if he can have the success early can he keep it going throughout the duration of the fight can he have continued su- success and that's what i kind of been wrapping my brain around and i'm like I don't necessarily know if he can. I, I think that John Castaneda is going to edge him out. But I think it's going to be a competitive fight. So I don't hate the Kyung Ho Kang underdog shot. I think that if he, if he does find success with the takedowns, he's an excellent underdog here at 7,400. Um, but I just see the, the striking of John Castaneda, the volume and the angles. And the takedown defense being a little too much for Kyung Ho Kang, who has been somewhat just getting by on some of these fights. Split decision to Brandon Davis and uh, Lu Ping Wan. I know that's back in 2019, but when you when you see that on paper and then you watch the fights, you're like, yeah, I think that John Castaneda can do well. So I'm picking Castaneda to win the fight. But like I said, I, I think that, you know, you can get exposure to both sides and you won't. I don't hate it, but my official pick is John Castaneda to win via decision.
0: Yeah, I just think it's it's one of those things of, and you know, you always talk about looking at ownership projections and maybe trying to find these fights. And and that's this is one of those fights that I'll be uh, really paying attention to to see where ownership projections go over the next twenty four hours. Next up, we got Joshua Van taking on Kevin Borges. Borges is a plus one ninety betting underdog, minus two thirty five for Van. Van 9200 two hundred DK twenty one dollars on Fanduel for Kevin. He's seven thousand on DK and nine dollars on Fanduel, Pete.
1: I yeah I like this fight I, I like this fight from a, a viewing aspect I think that Joshua van really surprised me in his debut against Georgi uh, Jumagilov. man I could never get that that guy's fights right I mean I was always trying to pick him in certain underdog spots or even fight, slight favorite spots and he might be one of the most disappointing UFC signings that in, in recent memory um, just cannot get out of his own way even in like the UFC's throwing him a bone. Joshua van looked very good. Uh, threw 234 significant strikes, landed 120, defended four takedowns, attempted two takedowns. I just like the volume and the pace. I mean, it's the flyweight division. What else do you ex- you know expect? There should be a high-paced fighter in there, and Joshua van looked good. Um, Kevin Borjas on the on the contender series throws with good volume. Uh, I actually you know won a bet by placing it on him. And, you know, he he goes to the head and the body. But if you can vary your attack and you can mix in takedowns, I mean, I I think that this guy is low-level, bottom-of-the-barrel UFC. Uh, I think that Joshua Van, from everything I've seen from regional career to debuting in the UFC, I think it's going to be competitive on the feet. Joshua Van might even hurt Kevin Borjas. Um, If he can't hurt him on the feet, look to him to resort to some takedowns. Which I think is a sneaky, sneaky path to victory here against Kevin Borjas, who has some of the worst takedown defense in recent memory. So, ninety-two hundred Joshua Van, I think that he is one of the best contrarian nine thousand options, getting away from a Benoit Saint Denis, perhaps you know going down from a, a Rebecca Jamal Emmer spending up a little bit from Mackenzie Dern. I think that he is a very good fighter, and I'm picking him to win here. So I'm picking Joshua Van to beat Kevin Borjas in a very high-paced fight.
0: Yeah, I always talk about that when you talk about these high-end options uh, of finding that one that does not have an ownership. And, uh, you know, really, it's kind of interesting to me that the two guys at 9000 range that I was kind of really looking at are two guys that are getting the, the least amount of ownership. We're talking about those 9000 options. The other one being Jamal Emers taking on Dennis Bazooka. Uh, Jamal Emers is a minus $275 betting fair, $225 for, for Bazooka. Bazooka $6,800 on DK, $9 on FanDuel. Emers 9400 on DK, $22 on FanDuel. know, yeah, I do this thing on a podcast called Best Bets. And Dennis Bazooka's never lost by stoppage. And Jamal Emmers has not gotten a stoppage win in the UFC. I think Emmers is going to get his first UFC stoppage win here.
1: Oh, interesting. I, I don't think that emmers is going to lose this fight. I, I just, I think that he checks so many boxes in this matchup against Dennis Bazooka. Um, granted, you got some hometown fighters, you know, Dennis Bazooka, Nazim Sadikov, Matt Frivola. We'll see how they do, you know. And, and just because somebody's fighting in their hometown doesn't mean I'm going to back them. I definitely don't like Dennis Bazukia here against Jamal Emers. I'm picking Jamal Emers all day long. I think that on the feet, he's a good fighter, very good fighter, good good puncher, um, has power. But it's the wrestling that I think is just a complete difference maker. I think that you watching watching what he did to Jack Jenkins in that bout. I know he was slightly inefficient. You you know well, I shouldn't say slightly, very inefficient. One of six in the takedown department. Four minutes of control time. I, I think that Dennis Bazukia has worse grappling than um, than Jack Jenkins. So like I, I think that Jamal Emmer's at ninety four hundred is a sneaky sneaky salary. Uh, I think that he can hurt him on the feet, take him down, and possibly submit him. I don't I don't like targeting the New York fighters from Saro Longo to get subbed because I know that Matt Sarah has these guys super prepared. Um, but like Jamal Emmers has a very good arm triangle that he attempts has attempted on the, on the regional scene. Um, but yeah, I I think that Emmers is a parlay piece. I don't see how he loses this fight outside of getting hit with something stupid. Um, and if you would like to get a sure win, with possibly less volatility, I think that you you go from Rabeski down to Jamal Emers, but I like them both. Uh, I still have Rabeski one, Jamal Emers two. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Emers is a fantastic bet this weekend.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, so so now we're going to get into our straight up fight picks. Also talk about a little bit about uh, prize picks over here, and then answer your questions. We start to wrap up this show. Uh, main event, uh, I'm going to go Alex Bahia.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go Alex Pereira too, um, but yeah, I, I I can't wait to watch it. It's a very tough fight to call.
0: Uh, I will go Sergey Pavlovich.
1: Tom Aspinall.
0: Uh, give me Mackenzie Dern.
1: Jessica Andrade. <laughs> uh,
0: man, this is the one I keep going back and forth on. I'm going to say ben, Benoit Saint-Denis, but I do like to get the role in GPPs.
1: Benoit Saint-Denis for me.
0: I will go Pat Sabatini
1: stop it are you
0: i am i okay. i think he i think he lay in price
1: okay i i think that's completely viable Yeah, you, if you're betting pat zapatine you better bet him to win via decision i don't think he's going to win any other way uh i don't think he's submitting diego lopez but yeah i'm picking diego lopez
0: man i i feel like this is a first we're through five fights we already got three different picks
1: yeah Somebody's going to be really right. Somebody's <laughs> going to be really wrong.
0: I, I just, I just wanted to look at uh, Sabatini via decision plus two fifty.
1: Yeah. If if you're betting him, do not bet him money line. He's not subbing Diego and he's not KOing him.
0: Yeah. No. I'm I'm with you on there. Uh, give me a uh, Steve Urseg.
1: Steve Urseg, baby.
0: Uh, Lupi Godinez.
1: Lupi Godinez.
0: Matias Rebecki.
1: Rubeski, yep.
0: Uh I will go Borshev. I don't feel great about it.
1: Okay, I'm going Nazim Sadakov.
0: Uh Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon. Castaneda.
1: Castaneda. Van Van and Emers. Emers. All right, slightly different, but somebody's gonna be really wrong and somebody's gonna have a good night.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, let's see here. Let's get, uh, We'll go over to Scored. Uh get some questions that came in here. Uh, in terms of this show, I'm not even going to ask why someone put a picture up of Ngannou and Kim Kardashian. Do not even know what that's <laughs> yeah, about.
1: I saw that. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I almost Google searched it. I'm like, that's got to be fake.
0: Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Uh, we had an interesting <laughs> conversation on the podcast yesterday of these people who think Francis Ngannou is a star in this industry. I'm... As someone in the bar industry, hate to tell you, he's not. Well, uh, best leverage play. Let me pull up ownership. Let me see what we're looking at. I mean, ownership
1: he could be a star, but not pull numbers. I mean, it's like.
0: Dude, the pay-per-view well, bomb. That's, his his pay-per-view bombed in the UFC. Yeah. This one bombed. I, he is one of the best fighters in the world, no doubt about it. Okay. He doesn't bring a different audience out. Just yeah. doesn't. Uh, really. To me, leverage plays. I'll give you a, a favorite. John Castaneda.
1: It's a good leverage play. It is a good leverage play. Um and I like it when you give leverage plays that are favorites. Wow, yeah, he's a he's a big leverage play. Yeah, no,
0: exactly. I know I, exactly. I think look, I think it's Castaneda and Emers. When you're talking about favorites, those are your your leverage plays of the week. As we sit here on a Friday morning. I love it. Yeah, you're right. Obviously that could very much change. Uh best takedown upside. Uh let's see here. I, got um, I, I think you look at Saint Denis, um, Aspinall.
1: Yep. Emers, Robeski.
0: Yeah. If Godinez goes the route, Sabatini goes the route. There's there's co op Madsen.
1: Sadakov. Yep.
0: There's definitely some options there in terms of that. Uh rank the 9K options. So our 9K options this week are Dern, Saint Denis, Van Emers, Rebecca. I think I would I would go Emers, Rebecca, Van Saint Denis, Dern.
1: I think they have it correct. Rebeski, Emmers, Van Saint Denis, Dern. And the yeah. only reason Benoit Saint Denis is lower is just because it's a competitive fight
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I I put confidence attached to my rankings too. Like how confident am I? I can actually see like Matt Fravola pulling it off too. So that's why he's kinda of down on my bottom end.
0: Uh, Next up says, uh, this week has very fair pricing, which means we can basically do whatever we want with our lineups. What is your advice to get different but still capture upside this week? I feel a lot of lineups are going to look similar. Maybe somehow fading the main event, go main event is the play. I mean, look, I think that in terms of getting different, getting away from, I think, of at least one of the title fights, I think getting away from both of them becomes a really tough because, like— I. I'd much rather get more ownership in the co-main event than I would the main event, just because I think you're—I mean, look, it's—the co-main event's a boom-bust. I mean, let's just call what it is, Pete. I mean, the reality is the fight's ending likely within five minutes. Yeah. I I, I, don't—I—you know, it could hit round two, but I—you know, but— you brought up a great point earlier on the show. We talked about the main event is the last thing you want is a third-round finish.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think the for me to get different, I don't think that you could avoid both the main and co-main. That gets you really different. Sometimes people get a little too cute. To me, that's a little too cute. Um, I, I personally, if I had to fade one of them, I would fade the main event. And the reason is, is because I think it's so – tough to call and there is possibility there is a possibility of it being a slower paced striking affair with respect and um whereas i i can almost guarantee you that the heavyweight bout is finished inside of two rounds
0: uh, next up says value plays under 8k on DraftKings now I mean look I, would, I mean, he's under 8k but I would not consider it a value of Yuri because I mean he's going to have decent ownership um, outside of him I think you made up some great points about Diego Lopez if he can keep the fight on the feet potentially knocking out uh, Pat Sabatini Um, I mean I like Castaneda but I think Kings not a bad um, under 8,000 option play
1: Yeah, I mean, like, for me, if I'm excluding the main event, Diego Lopez is going to be one of my favorite underdogs on the slate. Jessica Andrade, whether I'm wrong or not, it is women's MMA, and there is some likelihood that it's competitive. I'm picking her to win, so uh, I'm going to go with Diego Lopez and Jessica Andrade as my two.
0: Let's finish up a question here from uh YouTube from Matt. He says, Is Urseg vulnerable to Costa leg kicks?
1: I don't think so. I think Costa is susceptible to getting hit with a counter when he leg kicks because like um I think he can I think he can chop at the legs and we saw Costa do really well chopping at the legs, but like I've also seen Steve Urseg incorporate good leg kicks as well. Um I I love it. Do you have your prize picks, Slate? Because I was uh, I have a couple that I want to bounce off your head that I think is really, really good. Let's uh, see if we fire have. away. All right, ready. Steve Erseg over more than one and a half takedowns. I like it. He goes for so many. I think he's going to get it. Jamal Emers more than one and a half takedowns.
0: That's my fear wh- is
1: if it just needs only one. That's my fear.
0: That's one of the ones that I have highlighted.
1: And then my final, if I did a trio. Steve Urseg more than 79 and a half fantasy score.
0: That's another one. That, that's another one. I mean, I'll tell you, um, the ones I had other two that I had labeled uh were both fight time props. Um more right. than ten and a half fight time minutes on Pat Sabatini, uh more than ten and a half fight times on Nazim Solikov were the other two um that I mentioned. I mean, other other ones I find intriguing over at Price picks. Um I'm kind of intrigued in going more than nine fight time minutes on Alex Bahia. Um more than ten minute fight times on Mackenzie Dern uh is another one. Um not really anything else more on price picks that 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 sticks out to me over there, but those those are some of the ones that stick out to me and and look. I, I always say this. I think when you're playing price picks, a, a great strategy is to do two and three leg, uh, you know, player props. Or if you want to get to those four, five, and six, you know, look at look at college football, look at NBA, look at NFL, and, and putting those ones together. Maybe you like two props from the UFC, two from college football. And you know, two from NBA. Now you've got your six player card. We can get that twenty five to one. So that's something to to play in there. So uh, that that's kind of my recommendation. Because uh, I'll say this: as, as I, I've done the six player card in UFC, it's it's very tough to hit. I mean, it's very tough to hit.
1: It's it is tough, and it's because they put out sharp lines and or se- semi sharp lines, and there's not a ton to work with. A lot. I, yeah. I feel like they they pick their spots, so it's like you almost get a little too greedy with it. So that's that's where you just got to find your confident plays and, and take that stand
0: no question about it of course as always we appreciate everyone tuning in for the Fight HQ podcast of course join that Discord channel it's not just about combat sports talk Pizza in there giving away some uh, you know, NBA picks and college football picks college basketball seasons right here as well so we got all that going on great conversation there totally free to join of course we got our DraftKings contest as well be sure to join that uh, try to take that one down I've, I, I gotta I gotta get back I gotta get back in the top of this contest I, I've been struggling the past month or so on these contests of course uh, you can always check out this pod, this show on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Of course, if you want to leave a comment after show, be sure to do that. Myself or people will definitely get back to you. We appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast.